Recommendal Podcast, episode 126, brought to you by executive producer Saurav Misra. Thank you very much for your support. heard engine number nine from the deftones record adrenaline this is a recommendal podcast i'm mark and i'm jason and I, apparently we sold out mark we've, we've sold out to the mainstream with deftones yeah i guess so and uh well next week we're going to do corn followed by limp biscuit yes and uh uh i got well we got lincoln park lincoln oh, park yes. and stain yeah so pod pod yep and then maybe we'll do a a, a more in-depth uh exploration of like um puddle of mud 
and uh, oh yeah, maybe drowning Power, pool, Power Man five thousand, <laughs> and other uh, of the ilk. So controversially, uh, maybe. Uh, see, at, at this point, I think Deftones are accepted as being a good band that kind of uh, expanded outside of the genre they were kind of thrust in. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a band that I kind of detested up until 2000 or 2001, whenever White Pony came out. Mm-hmm. And that's when I finally, like, you know, heard them. It was, you know, a similar kind of, like, awakening when uh, Last Fair Deal Gone Down by Catatonia came out. Mm-hmm. And it was just this kind of expansion of what, you know, I thought was, you know, possible with the sound. Yeah. And, and I think they're a band that... Uh was always associated in in entrapped in in that realm of new metal but they had the ability to somehow sound different at the same time as being part of that genre you know i mean i think they were they were trapped in a way because they were always pigeonholed by being called corn's little brother corn discovered them you know and at the time even like when this record came out adrenaline um in 95 it was a year after corn's debut had come out and um yeah, I could tell you as a sophomore in high school when all this stuff was kind of happening, like, that stuff wasn't, like, at the time it was kind of unique. I mean, it didn't it, it didn't sound like what it became, you know, I guess. And, and any anybody that tells you they could have seen the future that this stuff would dominate the late 90s is full of shit. Like, they, yeah. you had no idea, you know. And so, to me, this was just another kind of, like, interesting, kind of mainstream, but yet pretty heavy record that was kind of you know filtering through the hands of a ninth and tenth grader which is what so I was all do you think all this stuff kind of is spawned from sepultura uh i mean i think i think you go i think you go like you go faith no more helmet raging against the machine sepultura and, and there was like in pantera you have to i think to put in there somewhere and and all this stuff was pushing it towards like a I don't know the the mosh riffs and the the sort where, of where did the hip hopness come from? Well, because Rage is one of the first bands I think that did that integrated it, but it sounded right. Sure, it didn't sound like it was. And I think Rage was mishmash. coming out of uh, Rage was coming out of. I feel like they were coming out of a Public Enemy absolutely hip hop kind of sensibility of like protest music and the whatever Public Enemy means hardcore was. or something. Yeah. yeah, and and you know Zach was in a hardcore band before he did Rage Against the Machine, uh, Inside Out. I think they were called. I think they were Revelations Records or Revelations. Revelation put that record out years later after Rage got popular, but um. You know, so I don't know. I think I think these were bands, and this was what I think was unique. And and you you know this to a little bit within your context that you know your generation, a few years older than us, kind of came up. Even the skateboarders were were not only listening to Slayer and Carcass and different things like that, but they were listening to Eazy and NWA. And, oh, absolutely, Ice Cube, all that stuff. And that stuff sort of fit in there. And, and I guess my generation was the same. We not so much at NWA, but the aftermath of NWA, which was you know Dr. Dre, The Chronic, was such a huge record for like me in eighth grade and stuff like that. And then you had the Tupacs and Notorious B.I.G.s at the time. They were kind of hit hitting like the mainstream, but yet like. It was almost like oddly acceptable that everyone could listen to that stuff and still be into heavier music, and it didn't like bother too many people. At least it seemed kind of normal according to like the aesthetics of MTV at the time in yeah. the mid '90s, you know. And you know, and when you heard that first Corn record, you heard like Godflesh riffs in it and stuff like that. And I mean, it seemed like an honest record, you know. And so the Deftones kind of come out of all that stuff. And and again, we're not going to sit here and try and validate new metal because there's no validation for it, but. You know, this was at a time when when American metal had kind of uh, 
petered out certainly in the in the underground you know death metal was was kind of in its last leg by 95 you know there wasn't really much interesting stuff happening in the death metal realm i think well and mainstream metal wise i think slayer was one of the only bands still doing something of validity but still people are like what the hell is this you yeah know? you know i mean load and reload are right around the corner by 96 oh. 97 and, yeah. and, and so you know in the context of all that you take a record like uh, a, a record that has this sort of youthfulness, um, and I, I'd say this, you know, adrenaline from from Deftones really reminds me of kind of my that, that reckless teenage feeling that you get sometimes when you just want to like kind of jump around the room and be energetic, and and you know it's the same thing like fucking hostile from Pantera used to like make us feel in like ninth grade, you know, or eighth yeah. grade. And, um, you know, the first thing we heard was seven words on a concrete corner tape. And then we saw these guys live right after Adrenaline came out. Saw them live a couple times with Orange 9 Millimeter. And um, there's another band I don't understand. The yeah, like, but they, they, they were like minorly interesting for a moment, you know, maybe because yeah. they had like a black dude singing for them, which was kind of odd at that time in metal or whatever. And then uh, then we saw them open for uh, alongside I Hate God the uh, Deftones I Hate God open for White Zombie Pantera and so in our context in our realm like what, there was no difference between I Hate God which was on Century Media Records and the mm-hmm. Deftones like so there was no disassociation like it it yeah. didn't like you weren't like betraying anybody by being in the Deftones at this point because new metal hadn't really evolved into what it was. So that would have been one of those shows where I'd go see I Hate God and leave. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, and and, that, and that's true. You know, yeah. I, we were more excited probably at that point for Deftones and I Hate God because oh, sure. they were like new to us. You mm-hmm. know, White Zombie and, and Pantera were like the you know obviously at the peak of their their height at that point. So. Um, yeah, I don't know, but at the same time, like when you hear an album like this, you know, Engine Number Nine, which we just heard, is really sort of like the template of the Deftone sound, which is, uh, you know, very aggressive, but uh, definitely you have some hip hop screams in there, uh, or hip hop moments mixed well, even with the, the screams. The drum beat is, yeah. is definitely hip hop, I and mean, there's the whole. I mean, one of their, I think, kind of their signature sound is almost like you know, like the walking bass line in jazz. They have like the, this walking, this this repeating mm-hmm. kind of riff that, and then coupled with power chords and this dissonant almost black metal sure i mean i think the ending stuff, of that you know? song the dissonance at the end is reminds me of exactly what neurosis was doing exactly at this point yeah, yeah. i mean it's not that far removed from it you yeah. know and so it's what's weird about a band like deftones is clearly you hear them and and you can go okay they're they're sort of like derivative in some ways of like whatever corn and, and that stuff later became but this is a band that clearly was listening to The Cure and clearly listening to, to post-rock stuff like Slint and Fugazi and, you know, um, Faith No More. And, you know, yeah. and it was all it was all there. It just they didn't have the maturity quite yet to like to grow it. And plus, they were sort of pandering to a scene that was, I think, relatively new, which was a sort of, you know, Southern California kind of like like aggressive metal kind of thing that was based around hip-hop you know which at the time seemed really innovative you know like i don't think if you quizzed anybody in 95 and and said does this sound like a record you'd heard before people would be like no you know so at the time like it sounded really fresh to our ears i guess and clearly at this point in 95 you guys you know you're listening to black metal and, and you're listening to like you know Gothenburg Gothenburg stuff uh, yeah Yeah. all the Gothenburg shit and so like this didn't like what the fuck do you care about like you know what sounds like a bunch of 18 year olds you know like well just just the the whole aesthetic thing I I've never I can understand where it came from but I was kind of like vehemently against 
the whole like wearing the kilt and the dreadlocks and the the douchey kind of nature that corn sure. basically did and you know i wear adidas shoes but i don't wear the track jackets yeah. and uh, yeah. you know the dick targets and all that kind of stuff but and, and it's funny because you know all that stuff it came on it didn't come on right away because i mean I, I i i'm a self-admitting uh fan of the first corn record even though i don't own it anymore if, if i was to hear a few songs of that i wouldn't hate it but what ended Fearly up becoming kills me on that. <laughs> what, what it ended up, yeah, I mean, they had gay nicknames and everything. I mean, or lame nicknames. It was just, it was weird, you know. Um, I, those are that whole scene became dis, like really like distorted by what people listening to it became. Like it became more of a reflection of the fans than it did the actual bands, and that's what is unfortunate. It just yeah. turned into this like grotesque like sick twisted like frat guy you know like bleeding hearts club you know like it was like it was like people that wanted to beat the shit out of you in high school suddenly like got their own bands back you know and i don't think and the funny thing is is if you like listen to like the lifestyles of like the guys in deftones or corn or some of these bands discluding you know shitheads like fred durst Mm mm-hmm these are the guys that were picked on in high school by the frat guys. And so there's this deep seated irony to the whole new metal scene that I don't really have time <laughs> to get into, but it's, it's disturbing, you know, but, um, Deftones. And I think the reason we're doing this show is because Deftones, as Mark said before, is they've kind of evolved into something pretty well respected. And I don't think, I mean, similarly, they're, they're to, like the band uh, that escaped. They made it you to know? like tool as well. Cause tool yeah. had a bunch of, you know, contemporaries that I don't necessarily, yeah think are great but i think tool eventually matured into a band that's kind of their own thing absolutely absolutely and uh you know this is a band they formed in sacramento in uh 1988 89 um steve carpenter on guitars chi chang on bass abe Gun- uh, cunningham on drums um you know he's kind of the x factor too and i'll, I'll come back to him his drumming choices are, are odd you know he's almost like uh it's the, well, the guy decept- from My Dying Bride. It's deceptively like, simple yeah. too uh, that's that's the big thing he, and he just makes choices that like you don't always you know it's like it's like ken owen from carcass like yeah. it just makes kind of off, off well they're the like charts, they're almost kind places. of like uh not not rookie mistakes but there's just this youthful like uh, indiscretion to where like they don't have these these ideas of what music has to be and yeah. and just like going from uh carpenter that had would he have a car accident mm-hmm. and that's how he taught himself how or to play a, was it a skateboarding accident or something it was, or, i think he's right he was riding a skateboard get hit by a car yeah, or something so. like that but basically it's one of those things like immortal to where uh, like you listen to riffs, like how the hell does anybody think to write this stuff? But it's coming from that sense of kind of yeah. youthful enthusiasm, well, not he, knowing the he rules. He doesn't know how to read music at all. I remember, yeah. I remember uh, Grand Corcoon has helped us out with some of the shows, saying that was what really impressed him. Reading interviews with, with Stephen Carpenter back mm-hmm. in like the the nineties, uh, that he just sort of self taught himself, you know, self taught himself how to play like SOD and Anthrax records in the hospital. Is, yeah. is where it sort of came out of. Um, and he's going to high school at the time uh, with the lead singer, who we haven't mentioned, also a guitar player, Chino Moreno, and also Abe. Uh, so the three of them are together in high school, and that's kind of how it all came together. And the name Deftones, which kind I thought was kind of interesting, it's, you know, obviously it's taken that, you know... Um, kind of the, 50s R&B aesthetic well, thing. Well, the, the hip-hop slang of Def, you mm-hmm. know, like Def Jam. Def Jam, Okay, yeah. and then mixing it with, like, Dick Dell and the Deltones and, like, surf, surf rock kind of California, mm-hmm. sort of, like, early 60s kind of, like, fun just kind of music and like mixing those two elements together and that's where they get the deftones so yeah i don't know it's a delphonics it, the delphonics there you go the deltones delphonics yeah 
and then later we'll we'll get to this. Uh, Frank Delgado um, will become a full time member around White Pony time with some. That's actually when Chino starts doing rhythm guitar and stuff as yes. well. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. So so the band's origins are kind of like you know they come from California and all that sort of stuff, but uh, they're I I don't know they've uh, they've eclipsed their their movement they've they've escaped all that now terry date we should mention him he uh produces most of the early records really the first four records and he kind of got big doing pantera stuff and uh doing a lot of heavier white zombie and and stuff like that and so he kind of became known for for doing the deftone sound as well as like in the same regard that like ross robinson Mm -hmm. got big doing the corn sound you know or whatever so but i've always liked the more uh metallic kind of slicing sound of deftones rather than the um beat super beat heavy kind of style that ross robinson brought to the table you know um, I mean, I think what he did with the first corn and on, on Roots from Sepultura is pretty interesting because it didn't sound like anything else. But after that, it really becomes derivative and just boring, you know. So, And um, the the song that we're going to play next, um, for real, um, from Adrenaline is, you know, neither of these songs are, would be, uh, quote unquote, the hit songs that you would hear, you know, like Bored or Seven Words or, and stuff like this or One Week, which were, I guess, the big songs that, that were, were around this time. But one of the reasons we wanted to pick some of the songs that we're going to play tonight, which most of them aren't, I guess, the quote unquote hit songs, yeah, um, is because the Deftones oddly have this, like, um, <laughs> I don't know, what's the word that you, uh, you, you invented? the romantic romantical uh, yeah romantical uh and and they do you know i mean even though you have this metallic kind of edge and you have this sort of uh almost like stooges punk aesthetic and that they don't know how to play music very well yeah that's in their kind of writing from that sort of place in chino's vocals especially like you you find you know like more passion than than any of the other certainly any of the other new metal vocalists at the time well and like doing like what what fred durst would do where he tried to do this like depeche mode kind of thing but it sounded just retarded yeah um, Chino's actually an unbelievable vocalist i mean I'll, like hits like these weird like almost mariah carey high yeah. super high notes and stuff but i think he's got this certain kind of uh what would you call it i mean there, there's an honesty to to the lyrics but the lyrics are kind of like almost nonsensical to some degree but you can kind of get under the surface there's like a, a real element of truth there and there's a certain like passion i think that he brings to it and sensuality without sounding Definitely. overly romantic Definitely. about the whole thing but um i wrote the like a jeff buckleyism kind of thing yes. but, but more modern yeah you know? no absolutely i think it's not it's cut from that same kind of cloth i mean i think chris chris cornell has some yeah, of that yeah. um you know Ryan Adams and a few other kind of guys, uh, the Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Levine from Hours. You know, mm-hmm. even capture some of it. Oh, Jimmy, uh, it's like Greco or something. Is it Greco? Yeah. What the hell is Jimmy Levine? I don't even know. Where I, that it sounds from. like in somebody's neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I wrote here Chino's vocals and lyrics suggest emotions rather than announce them. Yeah. And so, like again, some of his lyrics don't always like make sense, or they're like sort of poetic or abstract. But like, but the way they're presented, sense. yeah, the way that, that he sings them gives them the meaning. It's not the words themselves, yeah. but it's the delivery. Yeah. I think, and you hear that in the song that, that I kind of you know that we pulled out for real. 
uh, I think this song in particular reveals all the sort of melodic indie kind of pop shoegazer, My Bloody Valentine, slow mm-hmm. dive uh, cure elements that really are going to surface later. You know, like they're going to really unfold and blossom and uh, change like a butterfly ah, into, into a house of flies in, in, into, into something that, that you know, Here, again, here's what I put about this song. Meathead meets goth. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> sure. You know, and again, I think this is a band that wears their influences like clearly like, you know, on their sleeves yeah. and they don't quite know yet how to put all of this stuff together. You know, this is a band that's listening to like New York City post rock stuff like Helmet and Quicksand. And yet, like, they're listening to, like, Ice Cube records, probably, and, like, mm-hmm. you know, wave they're, and and they're trying to throw all this stuff together into a blender, and it, it doesn't always work, but, you know, it is mm-hmm. what it is, so. Um, and so, this is, like, I guess a good example off of a record that's, for the most part, pretty, like, in your face, you know, just like Engine Number no. 9, which we started off with, was. Um, and so, this will sort of lead us out of Adrenaline, their debut record, into their second record from 97, which I'll tell you a little bit about, and then we'll, we'll play some music here. And um, the second record, Around the Fur, uh, at the time, like, I was kind of out of Deftones. Like, I didn't pick this up until a couple of years later when I started working at the record store. Mm-hmm. Um, because Evie, who we worked with, who was in punk rock and, and hardcore kind of stuff, she was a really big fan of this record and would play it at the store. And I was like, oh, this is a new Deftones. I kind of mm-hmm. had forgotten about these guys like it wasn't really interested in what they were doing anymore because by now by 97 i'm I'm like yeah i'm in death metal stuff but um you know it's it's a really natural evolution for them it's slicker it's more focused um and it's got kind of an equal combination of some of the commercial elements but mixed in with the sort of harsh hardcore metal kind of elements Uh, but what you're going to hear in some of the songs especially like die the flu um, is a heavier dose of shoegaze and dark new wave kind of stuff. You know, a song that I wish we had time to play, Mascara, is like absolutely like just beautiful and romantic and it's like about marriage and stuff. I mean, that was fucking weird. <laughs> you know, for, yeah. this is like the peak of like stupidity, limp biscuit bullshit, you know, and these guys are really like reaching for something Well, this different. was, yeah, what was it? Starfish and hot dog flavored water? That comes a little later. This was like, this was nookie kind of time. That's, but but that's it's all the, nonsensical yeah. frat bullshit. Basically. Exactly. You know, and there's even like a song on here, which I was pointing out to Mark before this, because, you know, Mark is not as well versed in these first two Deftones because it wasn't really your your scene at the I, time. And still, I, I can appreciate them, but I'm not, they're not go-to records. Every, like White Pony and, and Beyond is kind of why my Deftones area. Yeah, and that makes sense, you know, uh, absolutely. But there's a song called MX, which is kind of closes the record, and the lyrics are really condemning kind of the late 90s MTV lifestyle. They're sort of calling out like the bullshit, you know, for yeah. what it is, the sort of bling bling like adidas the the sort of way that women were being treated at limp biscuit show like all of it's sort of like in this song it's it's kind of odd but uh well it's yeah it's the funny thing it's all the the white influence on hip-hop yeah exactly it's like the yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's a whole show i'm just not even gonna go there yeah but um you know and, and you can really consciously hear them on around the fur really trying to separate themselves from the pack you know and uh a song like die the flu i I hear a lot of like catatonia-esque elements on it not that i think either band was listening to each other but i think they were like walking in the same circles of like kind of weird influences like well and and i think both were in they're in genres that they didn't necessarily fit in anymore yeah and they were trying to kind of like spread their wings out and figure out what they want to do and this this album in particular like fit alongside like say tool enema Mm-hmm. In that, like, they were both, like, you know, Enema was 96, and, and this is 97, but, like, you know, they're, like, embracing, like, 
failure uh the band failure which is you know if you're a cave-in fan you know failure i'm sure and but like you're kind of a criminally underrated band yeah like you know kind of faith no more-ish at times but like you know these these failure like pop hooks and then this sort of quicksand loud soft dynamics you know like there's just all these different things happening in the midst of what sounds like kind of a normal late 90s new metal record you know mm-hmm. it's it's so um if you've dismissed a record like this or even adrenaline before because you thought deftones were something then you know give this a chance and kind of see what happens but we've got uh for real from adrenaline coming up and then we've got a pair of tunes from around the fur lotion which is kind of uh more in your face kind of heavier and then die the flu and then we'll close things out with uh, our first uh song from white pony so enjoy
That was Elite Die the Flu Motion and Fear Real. For real. Is that for real? For real? Fire real? It's, it's kinda, probably for real. It's it, kind of a it should play, have on, an apostrophe. play on words, maybe. Yeah, if it had an apostrophe between the I and the R, I think it would be for real. For real. Like Be Real from Cypress Hill. That's it. And you're listening to the Requiem Metal <laughs> Podcast. Just kidding. Uh, so, Elite. This is the Judgment Night soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, an underrated soundtrack. I, I'm uh, actually a big fan of that soundtrack. That could have been the impetus for bands like the Deftones <clears throat> and Corn, probably, in its own bizarre way. Uh, bring the Noise, I think, is where it all yeah, goes back to. Or, uh, bring the Noise. Uh, well, we could even trace it back to Aerosmith and Run DMC, maybe. Or maybe we I really don't have like a whole it. lot of respect for for Aerosmith. I'll Let, tell you. Let's what. give credit where credits due. I'm the man from Anthrax. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, but White Pony, Elite, um, a Grammy winning song for best heavy metal record. And I was telling, oh, was it? Okay. Yeah, Elite, I don't follow Elite the was the song best mm-hmm. like heavy metal single or whatever. And uh, I always found that odd because it was never a single. Like there was never a video. I never really heard it on the radio. It was a song I liked on White Pony, and it was certainly very jarring and heavy in comparison with the rest of what that record was but mm-hmm. uh, I don't know it's odd well at least the, the Grammy's got a band that's worth sure. giving a Grammy to yeah and Slayer's won a few here and there so instead of what was it, Jethro Toll won against that was, uh, the, uh, that was the first hard rock Grammy of all time hard rock heavy metal Grammy oh no it was heavy metal uh, what were they they were up against bands that were actually worth a shit though um, well it beat Injustice for All Metallica so <laughs> clearly Clearly, time well, is flute clearly time has proven that Jethro Tull's record was more timeless. So <laughs> what a pile of shit! <laughs> but um, I would say, you know, one of the things that White Pony uh, that we talked a little bit about in the last Tonk set, I think, alongside uh, the debut from Perfect Circle, um, these two records kind of came out right around the same time, and I feel like these really helped draw the line in the sand between what what was quote unquote new metal. And what was sort of evolutionary, like alternative metal, and I think at this point now, Deftones on White Pony like come into their own as this like alternative metal band, if if, if for lack of a better term, they're yeah. they're not playing new metal anymore. You know, like if they ever were, maybe they were, maybe they weren't. You know, I think they were playing music and they just defined new metal around them. You know, it's the same way that like we were talking about all the bands that. Um, get lumped into stoner metal you know it's like it's t- you know. it's a bad term but exactly yeah, there's you some know. bands that, that supersede it and, and progress beyond it but yeah and i think on this record this is where we get some of the terminology that mark you were using earlier i mean you know ethereal otherworldly sexy sensual mood setting kind of romantical. music yeah romantical and um I, I remember distinctly hearing change on the radio, and, and uh, I didn't buy White Pony right away, just like I didn't really buy Around the Fur, because, again, I, you know, I, I think in 2000, if we weren't listening to, you know, Swedish death metal and, like, you know, Thorns, you know, black metal type shit, you know, or whatever. Well, 2000, that was, we like, were, the, the era of, like, you we know, were, of indie rock. We and were discovering. Scene, touch and go stuff, yeah, and, you know. Yeah, we were, you know, trying to, you know, find the Buckley. latest thing that sounded like Mogwai and, and yeah. different things like that. And, um, you know, so it was, this was a song when I heard it on the radio, um, and we're not going to play change. Cause I think everybody has probably heard that song and, and does, you know, the context of it is, is enough, but you know, this, this song and this record really regained my attention. And, and it is like you were saying at a time, kind of, I guess when I was very close minded to American mainstream rock or metal, you know, mm-hmm. there was yeah. very little that was, you know, impressing me or that I was even remotely interested in. And I think White Pony and then Tool Latrellis, 
I think those two records, you know, Latrellis came out a year later in 2001, but I think those two things like really regained uh, a little bit of respect for like maybe what America could do if pushed to its like creative boundaries. Yeah. You know, one of the first uh, hours record come out. Uh, right around that time, okay. I think too, because that was another one of those things. Just like a lot of these bands that I, well, the Hours was the new band at that point, but it was something that should be unbelievably popular, mm-hmm. and uh, that that I like grabbed onto right at you know at the at the U.S. Mm-hmm. scene because that was probably when I was starting to like rediscover all that stuff as well. You know, yeah, and I remember you, um, you know, this is this was really cool because this is kind of when Mark and I kind of start hanging out a lot was right around 99 2000 you would kind of re-enter the scene mm-hmm. from your your My hiatus, hiatus yeah. post hiatus and um you know this is right around the time i think maybe right before i live with brian and uh and i remember jessica the girl i was dating at the time like she really got into like the white pony kind of stuff and change and you know that's another thing about this record this is like a great record to play for girlfriends almost you know it was like the kind of stuff you could play in the car that wouldn't like annoy you know girls mm-hmm. and that they would actually see the like like kind of sensuality in chino's vocals or something there was just like something that always attracted women to deftones for some reason from this point on yeah but you know this is like where i remember watching you sort of evolve not only like getting and, and starting to kind of test the waters with like jazz a little bit but but then especially like with indie rock because mm-hmm. that was like we were really bonding a lot through that because we we obviously had a common metal boundary but i think alongside like bands like catatonia we were kind of on our own journey, like trying to find something else, you know? Oh yeah. And I had, uh, when I was in college, uh, I had a, a screen printing professor that mm-hmm. turned me on to a bunch of the Louisville touch yeah. and go kind of era stuff, pine top seven, Will Oldenlish yep. stuff. And, uh, and it was, and, uh, oh, what the hell was the other one? Four Carnation, stuff like that. But well, he, Dave Pajo from Slint. Yeah, he would like, uh, yeah. you know, explain the stuff to me in a way that I'd never heard anybody do it before. And I was just like, okay, this totally makes sense to me now. You know, he's like, I need to, I need to like explore this more. And the coolest part was like that was happening. And then like you would come and like talk to me. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I have Slint. Yeah. You should listen to that. And yeah. you'd be like, oh, really? Oh, okay. You know, like, it was, <laughs> so it was, it was But funny. it's cool to get two different validating sides to yeah. the whole thing, you know? You had, like, an indie guy that was clearly indie, and then you yeah. had, like, a metalhead like me that was kind of had dabbled in that yeah. stuff a little. And so it made me want to go out and explore more of that stuff and further push boundaries, and, and as it did, I'm sure, you. Oh, absolutely. And I think this record, you know, and I'll, I'll explain this comparison in a moment, but I, I think this is very much eclectic in the way that say like a faith no more angel dust was and that there was like all these different weird kind of songs on the record and it's kind of their masterpiece mm-hmm. of this of like stage one of the deftones you know i think maybe their new record is probably their second masterpiece in like yeah, the, the evolution yeah. of it or whatever and white pony um like was such like a commercial success and 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 not only commercial, but also I think like critically, critical. yeah, and in in the same way that I think Faith the More Angel Dust is like revered by like a lot of people, and for its eclecticness and stuff. But I think the Deftones were like almost like kind of pissed about. Well, they weren't pissed. Okay, I think they were worried about being trapped into a corner of like commercialized, you know, like um, that they would have to put out a bunch more changes and a bunch more like. Uh, back to schools and different things like these kind of hit MTV kind of songs. Yeah, yeah. And so the next record that they're going to do, which we'll hear in a second, too, is their self-titled Deftones, which came out a few years later. And it's very harsh. 
it's very like almost um, i mean compared to white pony it's unlistenable yeah to, to like the general audience yeah except for like minerva and hexagram which were the singles but yeah and, and those even had like a, a certain amount of harshness to it in the way i think i wrote that those two songs are like great almost like catatonia viva emptiness kind of radio songs you know or something. Absolutely. i mean the the rhythm guitar the bass the, the whole propulsion of the song is is all so similar to catatonia it's I mean, we were talking about this off air, but they're like, why do these bands not tour together in this United States? Yeah. It totally makes sense. They toured in Europe. And that's the crazy part. And I'll I'll tell a funny story about Turkey later. Yeah, because they're like, the the two bands, I mean, they're they're almost like the same, two halves of the same, you know, band kind of thing. Because Catatoni has infinitely better guitar players as far as technical ability. And I think getting more like melancholy and, uh, you know, subtlety to the guitar. And then Deftones has like the, the penultimate best <laughs> vocalist yeah, yeah. Uh, Jonas could only dream to do what sure. Chino's doing but yeah. they're so similar in, in approach and thematic stuff and uh, just just the, the tone it's just like yeah. why do they not tour more yeah but yeah yeah and so their self-titled I, I was saying to continue with the faith no more thing was like their king for a day yeah which a lot of you know pissed a lot of like people off who wanted like angel dust part two well and remember yeah. seeing like Mike Patton on, on MTV like screaming his ass off yeah. like people are like what in the hell is that like no that stuff had not been seen on mtv at that point and, yeah in their normal rotation and you know him like climbing up in rafters and being an absolute fucking lunatic you know? yeah yeah sure you know and, and so it's like a conscious effort to not fall into i guess a, a pattern you know mm-hmm. and certainly no one would ever accuse at this point the deftones have evolved their sound so much with every waking record that there's there's always that like common sound of, that you kind of can just tell a Deftones riff yeah. for some reason, and you can tell Chino's voice from like almost anyone else. But uh, other than that, like they're they I mean, he's they one of the be- I think static. he's one of the best rock vocalists around right now, oh, easily. Yeah, easily. And um, you know, this again, White Pony, and I think you would agree. I heard White Pony through the context of Catatonia, mm-hmm. and like it made sense to me. I was like, oh, it's the American Catatonia, like exactly. That, yeah. that was like so that was weird. right when Catatonia was making their big shift. Yeah, last know? fair deal gone down. Came or I guess they're they're making their their shift. Uh, you know, tonight's decision. But they that was a I think kind of a growing record. Like they didn't know where they were going. Yeah, that one that was just kind of like okay, let's let's get away from death metal a little bit and see where we can go. And then like last fair deal came in it's just like uh, okay this is exactly just what we needed right in the punt yeah, yeah right in the gut you know emotionally you know um, uh, speaking of that the the next song we'll play from white pony passenger you know which Fainer, featured maynard from tool um one of the best i think collaborations i've ever heard like you know a lot of times collaborations can kind of like fall sort of flat but well i, I would say uh lemmy and, and ozzy i ain't no nice guy after all is one of my favorites that's pretty, but it's that's uh, pretty it's, it's uh, pretty terrible yeah. as well. well and i brought up uh ozzy and lita uh <laughs> close your eyes forever yeah i, yeah, I, I think uh, you know ozzy's at the top of his game in terms of his vocal dynamics there but he might have been off the coke a little bit yeah and uh, maybe maybe he's <laughs> slightly coherent yeah. i don't know but this, this, you know, both Maynard and Chino are, are really like sort of passionately like kind of weaving their sounds together, and it almost like makes sense that Maynard always should have been on this like song, you know. And well, and the very as far as their vocal approach, they're they're really they're both really non-conventional mm-hmm. or unconventional, and uh, but but yet it's very very listenable. Yep, it's it's a really weird mix because they they can both like sing beautifully and scream beautifully at the same time. Yeah, it's like molten emotion kind yeah. of comes out of this sort of stuff. So, and then like I said, we'll transition to when girls tele- uh, telephone boys from their self titled and uh, you know again this record more stripped down probably pissed a lot of White Pony fans off who had 
been attracted to White Pony because of its melodicism of songs mm-hmm. like Digital Bath and Change and you know back in school and stuff like that. But I think if you like cut through like the the static and the unlistenability and you get to some of the you know there's layers of creativity that's sort of built into songs like Mona and Battle Axe. There's a lot of like Blow Kid and, A Radiohead stuff yeah. that's thrown there too, it's, which it's is kind weird. Of Lucky you, you know yeah. the, the sort of hip hoppy kind of weird song is has a lot of Radiohead trip trip hop isms mm-hmm. and stuff. So. Um, you know, I mean, again, I think the self-titled Deftones record is is underrated in a lot of ways, and it. But I think it's the timing of it was so weird because it's creative at a time when a lot of mainstream metal was was sort of like a sinking ship. New metal is like dying in oh, two thousand three, yeah. And they're really consciously trying to separate themselves. I think from the sort of over wussiness of like the stains and the Lincoln Parks train. I I don't even think you'd call them new metal, but well, no, no, but, they, but that was the, shitty. Yeah. That was one of the the flavors of the day. Sure, it was yeah. just this this vapid bullshit yes. that had no nothing of value to it whatsoever. Sure. Yeah. Creed and all the other yeah. bullshit. Yeah. Alter so, Bridge. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. And, and uh, I worked at a record store in the wrong era. Yeah. Yeah, we did. So and then this is going to sort of transition into uh, some some music from Saturday Night Wrist, and, and we'll sort of talk about that. And uh, Diamond Eyes when we sort of come back. So we got Passenger, When Girls Telephone Boys, then we have Beware and Kim Drag, Kim Dracula, excuse me, from Saturday Night Wrist. And then we'll close things out with a uh, tune from Diamond Eyes.
That was Royal from Diamond Eyes, uh, Kim Dracula, Beware When Girls Telephone Boys, and then we started things off with uh, the duet between Maynard. Is Kim Dracula about Kim Thale? Uh, maybe. I don't know. There's probably some, there's kind of some Soundgarden-isms <laughs> there. That'd be cool if it was. Uh, but yeah, Saturday Night Wrist, the, the, the two tunes there, I mean, this is uh, the last time we saw Deftones, actually, was on that tour, mm-hmm. um, right after that record came out. And, you know, yeah, I they think... They played with, uh, with uh, oh, what was it? Was Darian Gray... Or- Dorian Gray? Dorian Gray? What the hell's the band's name? It's based off the uh, literary character. I couldn't tell you. The, I, the guy that's uh, the immortal dude. Oh, really? Dorian Gray? Is that, is that right? I don't know. I, they were that really weird Japanese oh, okay. emo yeah, sounding that's, band that's, or something. And then there was another band. Oh, my God. I'm not even going to try and guess what they were. But, uh, Fall of Troy. I remember was there, and that was a band like my students were sort of into. I don't so I was even remember what they sound like. They're okay, you know. It's nothing like mind blowing, but uh, you know, I think for a lot of people, it felt kind of like a comeback record because I think the the self titled was was just so like anti commercial in a way, except for like Minerva and yeah. stuff like that. And you know, when Girls Telephone Boy is one of the reasons we we played that tune to represent that sort of sound, but yet there was like that catatonia rhythm guitar and different things that were were sort of working on that. But then you hear in a song like Beware, you know, I mean, just the the sort of epic, melodic quality to it. It's a big sounding song. It has like this buildup that moves like towards that moment where it just goes into that heavy, heavy, very catatonia like Mm -hmm. breakdown, you know, almost something that you would have heard off of, uh, you know, Viva Emptiness or um, Great Cold Distance. Yeah, I mean, it really had that same sort of feel to it. And, um, you know, Kim Dracula just kind of was a, a great, again, it's a beautiful, heavy, romantic, it, it has all these sort of like bizarre elements to it. And, and you know, it's, uh, yeah, like this post rock meets My Bloody Valentine meets, I, I don't even know, like just all, everything's coming together perfectly at this era, yeah. I think. And this is a tense, it's a, the, it's a, the most eclectic probably record that they, they've put out, um, is is this one it's it's very far ranging i guess and i think that's because of the tensions that are kind of going on in the band at the time you know they had a revolving door of producers for this record it's the first one they do without terry date um they kind of bounce around with different guys they finally settle on this guy named bob ezrin who worked with like pink floyd in the 70s and i mean like a big rock kind of guy yeah and he was really harsh to them like really ran them through like it was almost like bob rock with metallica like made them do like an different almost exercises of like may have them validate their choices for every song yeah yeah, yeah. And, and chino was really pissed off he like walked out on the band and went and recorded his solo stuff with team, team sleep, sleep. Yeah. and then he records his vocals with his buddy uh sean lopez from far uh kind of a, a punk punk kind of band and so you hear all this tension i mean they almost broke up you know it's and, and you can hear that and like how disjarred some of the songs are from each other you know yeah. you've got like a uh, you got the contra code song uh which i can't remember the <laughs> freaking uh, up down left left right you know but it's the code to get 26 free guys from contra and uh, also from uh life force uh, another, <clears throat> oh that was a good game another cool game life force, same, the same code worked era. it was okay. the konami code they called it but you know that song has very much this sort of post-rock magwai uh isis kind of feel to it you mm-hmm. know then you have like pink cell uh cell phone which like had um oh god i forget her name she was a female vocalist from another band and you know and like that was that really caught people off uh guard in a weird way because like near the end she starts to like talk about like ass sex and like weird 
you know, like a lot of people are like, is this a it's joke? Like peaches you know? like, type stuff. Yeah. And it was very like distracting in a way. And then he had Surge from System of a Down uh, on a song, which that, that actually worked out pretty well. But it was just all over the board, you know, mm-hmm. Hole in the Earth, uh, the song that opens the record yeah. up, like starts off with like a Sonic Youth, like, like feedback riff for mm-hmm. like 30 seconds. And, you know, it's, it's a cool record, but like, you can just tell like it's a band that's like not really together. You know, and their ideas. Everybody's got their own ideas. Yeah, there. It's, you know. everything's conflicting, um, and it works. It's cool, you know, and I, I dig that about it. But then finally, those ideas I feel like come together. Finally, um, this latest record, which we uh, we featured and talked a little bit about in the best of show, because yep. it was a best of for 2010. But uh, you know, Diamond Eyes, you know, it's kind of centered around uh, unfortunately tragedy in a weird way. You know, well, how the band kind of started as well. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's a, yeah. almost like in a weird cyclical kind of thing. You but know? they've actually, what was it, last uh, 2008 or 2009, they actually recorded a full record before... Eros, yeah. Yeah, uh, before Chi, Greek, uh, Greek Love. the bass player, got in a car accident. Yeah, and... Um, was it a car accident, motorcycle accident? It's some kind of accident, um, and he... Basically left him comatose for... Yeah, it was a car accident, ever. yeah. He's still like in a, a pretty, pretty rough car accident. I mean, I don't know if he'll ever emerge out of that coma or not yeah. you know and they got quicksands uh sergio vega to sort of fill in on bass which and, and do songwriting as well yeah and you know anybody that's heard any of the quicksand stuff that stuff's pretty awesome um and you can hear a lot of that influence in in the deftones kind of music you know and i know i mentioned it like in the very beginning of the show but one guy that's really i think started to show his true colors um on this record uh, and, and in the past couple records, but he really becomes, I think, a full-fledged member is Frank Delgado, the guy doing a lot of the DJ samples and keys. I think the keys are blended in really well on Diamond Eyes. They're like layering everything. No, yeah, it's not. It's almost like the brand new Catatonia, where it's like this, like it's it's completely thing. integrated in. It's not like the the like a Children of Bodom kind of yeah, like no, like you know, dueling, you know, kind of thing. Or it's not there for. Uh, like you know, you don't hear like the scratching as in effect, but it's more. He's there. He's a very like subtle kind of like guy adding texture to everything, mm-hmm. and kind of an understated player, I think, in the band. But but if you took him out, it would totally be obvious that he was not there anymore. Sure. Yeah. And um, you know, this is lyrically and, and and thematically and stuff like that. It's it's more together. Um, you know, it's a band that's kind of found their path again after all these kind of like weird happenings in the two thousands. You know, they experienced this like meteoric like success with white pony where they become like rock stars suddenly and then they almost like say fuck you to that with their next record you know which really well, yeah chino gets all fat and then when he starts well, slimming down a little bit these uh you know they start doing better music and also a lot of drug stuff is going yeah. on for chino as well and this is sort of like this is a band that's sort of reflecting on the pain and the hardship it's post-drug abuse they're dealing writing songs that i think reflect the sort of like sadness that they're feeling towards the bass player with chi you know you know, they're, they're conflicted as far as like should you know because yeah. he was a pretty prominent member of the band and mm-hmm. definitely like contributed to the sound like okay he's out do we end the band or not yeah and yeah. I th- I'm glad they didn't sure because I think this is this reminds me of like um, I think I wrote oh Radiohead's in Rainbows or Opeth's like Watershed and that it's a band that's like obviously had a spotlight on them for a long time and has done like different experimental like approaches on different records. And I feel like they've sort of taken the best things from those last like four or five records Mm -hmm. and just sort of like put them together a lot more cohesive. And it sounds like a complete record from start to finish that like they had a vision for, from, from the very beginning. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's, you know, what, 
makes diamond eyes hold up so well and i know like within the mainstream metal community this guy like a lot of you know from revolver and well and it's things like that they I, love I, it's actually it. warranted i yeah. think usually revolver doesn't i me and revolver don't necessarily have the same aesthetic views of what the best album of the year is you know it's usually like a, like a seven dust or something i don't understand <laughs> yeah. the appeal of but well and i think that's what what's so interesting about deftones is this is a band that like like they sit so weird in the middle of the metal community in that like they're like a tool death yeah the, them and tool like you know death metal people will will like deftones and tool mm-hmm. mainstream metal people will like them even casual rock fans will like them yeah and, and like indie rock kids like an almost like hipster crowd can like deal with the deftones you know like they don't dismiss them like you know for intellectual reasons because there's something like abstract about the deftones still like there's well there's like an artful yeah there's a there's kind of an art house vibe or an avant you know vibe to the whole i mean lyrical approaches and uh like imagery i mean everything's kind of just off kilter and weird Mm -hmm. and they've never really kind of held to any kind of uh uh, you know, conformity to any scene at all. They've just done what they need to do at the at whatever time. Yeah, and I and I think that's, I mean, like like the soft title has almost like a converge, you know, kind of vibe to the yeah, cover and yeah. stuff. You know, it's just, exactly like and even to the sound. Yeah, is harsh in that way that Jane Doe or something. Yeah, would, like aesthetically, was like, uh, you know, orally, any any way they they've needed to change, they have. They've never had a very specific. Uh, They've had these certain things that I think they keep the same, but they're always constantly emerging as far as mm-hmm. emerging as whatever kind of, uh, you know, whatever they need to do, they do at that specific time. And I think that's why, like, you know, I feel justified putting them, you know, next to shows like, you know, by Burzum and, and other bands. Oh, absolutely. You know? yeah. so, but we're going to end with a pair of tunes from Diamond Eyes, um, Prince and 976 Evil. And uh, one thing I want to say about Prince that goes back to Frank Delgado is I think this is like the best use of Delgado's keys up to date. And it really creates this like cool harmonic dissonance um, that sort of fits with these like pop hooks, you know, and it's the core, it's fucking genius is what it is. And like Prince and 976 Evil have these just hooks to them that are like incredible. And yet clearly they're not like the change of the record. You know, yeah. you no longer have like the singles that are like super obvious. It's like every song could almost be a single. And that's, what's like really cool about it. You know? And well, at this point they're using uh, seven, eight string guitars as well. And there's a couple, there's something, I, I don't know if anybody can, you know, picks up on this, but there's a huge typo negative mm-hmm. vibe to the, to the detuned guitars that they're using. I even heard somebody say slowed down Mashuga too, which figure that one out for yourself. I yeah. guess. <laughs> so it's like, uh, you know, having the, like really using simplified, you know, these kind of simplified dissonant riffs, but then using, you know, the seven string, the seven and eight string guitar now is kind of becoming, uh, especially for simplified riffs for power chords, things like that. Using, having those extra couple strings really add this weird, you know, depth that, that a lot of bands are kind of gleaning onto right now, and 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 just to alienate everyone with that, you 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 almost have to thank Corn for that. Corn really made the seven string guitar like the <sighs> the proud thing. I mean, I I will not. Validate, I hate to go there. I well, hate to go I, there. I won't validate Corn, <laughs> by if for anything. In flames is the new Corn. Yeah, there you go, there you go. So with that said, with that said. <laughs> We'd like to uh, like to thank Ron Mertz again for uh, executive producing this episode. Yes. Uh, we do appreciate it, and hopefully uh, we've we've done you proud. And if you'd like to uh, executive produce an episode, you know, go to the website uh, requiemmetal dot uh, com. Requiempodcast.com. Click on the become a producer. Uh, basically, anybody who gives the the most amount 
every week uh, will become the executive producer of the show. We're thinking of doing the associate executive producer as well. If you'd like to get on that, uh, basically any donation yeah. would uh, would qualify for that. Sure. But, but I think the, the key is you want to be the executive producer because that has the most clout. It does. It does. I mean, it really they, it you, commands you can, us you on can some level. Put yeah. it on your resume. You can. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Will will validate. You know, yeah. whatever. So you can put uh, us down as a reference on your, your exactly. Yeah. You put it on. Yeah, put it on your resume. Will will validate that you did executive produce the show. Sure. But let us know what you thought about the show. Uh, Requiem Podcast uh, at gmail dot com uh, or check us out on iTunes. Leave us a review. Leave us. Some we got some great feedback star, on, star on iTunes uh, recently. Yeah, so I, been, I just been great. Continue to be impressed with the the things that you guys are saying, and you know, uh, throw. Uh, we're also still running the the contest. Uh, it's going to be pretty getting pretty close here to Maryland Metal Fest. Um, by the time you hear this show, <laughs> I think we'll be there. I think that I think there's still time to uh, to get those tickets in. So. Um, it, if not, if not, then it, if it already happened, it, congratulations, whoever yeah. got it. We, but, we, uh, we pre-record these shows, so we never yeah. quite know, you know, exactly how it's going to be. But there are tickets available because I, I would like to uh, make sure the winner Gets knows that they win <laughs> so they early enough to where they can book a hotel plan, room, plan all that kind of stuff. Them, yeah. Yeah. or they'll be sleeping on our floor somewhere. Hey, uh, yeah, maybe maybe they can chip in on our hotel. <laughs> <laughs> that they could, that they could. So, but anyways, so I don't want to ruin any contest here. But we got Prince and Nine Seven Six Evil from the Deftones Diamond Eyes. Enjoy. I am Jason. And I'm Mark.
Rugby Metal Podcast, episode 126, brought to you by executive producer Saurav Misra. Thank you very much for your support.